Hey everybody, it's Dan Doty and you're listening to the Everyman Podcast and I can't believe it, but you're now listening to episode 4. Today I have a different and very special podcast. It's very special to me. About two years ago I was about to get married and for my bachelor party I did something that was that is not normal and I invited uh, my mentor and close friend Owen Marcus to my house to facilitate and to run a two-day men's group for all of my best friends in the world. And I had nine guys fly in from all over the place, and it was just a magical, 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 magical weekend. And before we started the weekend experience, we sat down with Owen and one of my closest friends, Sean Helvey, who I own and operate man-made mentors with. Sean and I have launched a small business called Man-Made Mentors, where We work one-on-one with adolescent and young adult men who are struggling or just want to grow or get better. We work with them and their families. You can check us out there at www.manmadementors.com. And you'll notice on that page, there is a podcast there. And and a couple years ago, we started recording episodes of the Man Made Podcast. We didn't really take it anywhere but um, we may resurrect that, and right now I'm actually going to share one of those recordings because what this is 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 an incredible Q&A session about what a men's group is, about what this stuff is at its core. And uh, myself and Owen, who again is the he's he's really the, in my opinion, the guy who's who's nailing this in the biggest way. He's been the biggest influence in me in what I'm doing in my life right now. Um, he also happens to be the godfather of my child, and he also facilitated my wife and I getting married. Uh, he's just a very special man to me. One last announcement here about every man and what we have going on. We are getting close to releasing the dates for our retreats and expeditions in 2017. I can't tell you how excited I am for these events. Go to everyman.co and put your email in, and you will be the first to know about what's going on. I will shut up and start the podcast, and I hope this is enjoyable and uh, makes you curious, maybe makes you uncomfortable. Uh, I think this is a good one, so enjoy. All right, we are back for another episode of our podcast with Dan and Sean, and today we have an uh, incredibly special guest to me. Uh, give you a little bit of background of, of what's going on right now that uh, will give some context to this. It's, this weekend is my bachelor party here in Bozeman, Montana. Not a not a traditional bachelor party, as it were. No, not tra- I'd say not traditional at all. So what we are doing is I've invited, uh, I think I have eight of my closest friends from all throughout my life here. Um, and it's kind of a multi-stage bachelor party, but... Maybe the most important and the first uh, chunk of it is a two-day intensive men's group that uh, our guest, who's here, Owen Marcus, is going to facilitate and lead for us. And uh, I'm excited about that, Dan. I'm excited too. And we are. Everybody has almost arrived. We have a couple guys that are not quite here yet. Uh, we have some guys making tacos upstairs for dinner after this. And uh, uh, just want to take this opportunity to. Uh, talk with Owen here, have a conversation, and uh, really get into the topic of what men's groups are and uh, what it means to uh, mature 
and grow as a human being and as a man in our culture today. And, uh, you know, there's nobody in this entire country, I would say, on the planet that I've ever come across, let alone uh, worked with and, and gotten to know really well, that lives and understands this topic more than Owen. So uh, it's, uh, I actually find myself a little bit nervous. It's, <laughs> it's good, though. Uh, I think, uh, Owen, I'll maybe have you introduce a little bit of, of your experience, and then we'll, we'll probably start with the basics, you know, really basically what a men's group is. And uh, so maybe you can start out by just giving us uh, a little bit of your story. And, uh, yeah, and real quick, just let me say thanks thanks a lot for being here, Owen. We appreciate you, you know, being willing to get on the podcast and kind of help us discover this topic. Well, thank you. Uh, it, being here for Dan is a huge opportunity and gift and an honor, and, you know, this is a great bonus uh, being on this podcast. Um, my story, um, I started out being different, and, and I always knew I was different. I started out... Uh, with a speech impediment, and school was a real struggle for me. And it wasn't until graduate school that I realized I had dyslexia, and then, and then I realized I had Asperger's syndrome and dyspaxia, which is like dyslexia for the body. I was really tense and uncoordinated, and a few other things like Lyme disease. And in the course of the last 40 years, I've pretty much healed all those conditions, uh, or at least healed the parts that were really limiting. And so, like a lot of young men, um, I didn't feel like I fit in. And, and I was always sort of the, the round peg trying to fit into square holes. And, you know, I knew or hoped in some small way that there was something that I had to, to give or some, some unique gift I had to share with the world. But uh, the way I was going, it certainly didn't look like that. And it was actually, um, I was just gone out of college. And to make the story short, I ended up in Boulder, Colorado. I ended up living with a, a group of guys in a house in Boulder. And one of them was from... Florida, and he'd given up his law practice of eight years to go to Boulder, Colorado, to learn to be a rolfer. And that's where the Rolf Institute, the school is. And rolfing is a, a kind of soft tissue manipulation that releases chronic stress and realigns the body and, and works with elite athletes. And I went through the process, which is 10 sessions, and it dramatically changed my life. On a physical level, within a year after the 10 sessions, I was an inch taller. I'd lost over 20 pounds of tension. I was never fat. I was just tense. So that gives you a sense of how tense I was. And that really sent me on this journey. Hold on. Um, I just want to mention, to in, in uh, other terms, rolfing is uh, – <laughs> in kind of a crude way, it's a really intense massage. <laughs> it can be intense. Which if you have a, I mean, I've rolled Dan, so I don't think he'd mind me saying this. We were just no. talking about this. That, and you all might not know Dan or see his body, but you know, Dan has been an athlete. He's he has that sort of consummate, athletic, tough body. So rolling a guy like that was sort of like me getting rolled. It was tough in the beginning, and for some other guys, it's not. But it's not a massage. It is more intense, and some people yeah. say it's deep tissue work. But it's really about literally sculpturing out a new body. And one of the things that I learned going through the process and then studied with some other people that were writing the book on this was that our physical body is really a manifestation in so many ways of our emotional state and where we've been emotionally. And so one of the reasons that we keep reproducing these emotional experiences, be it relationships or feelings, is because of the tension in our bodies. So that's, that. I mean, that is, uh, I, we were just talking about this upstairs with a couple of guys that are here. Um, for, for people who that might be a brand new idea that our bodies are representations of our emotions or, or our other mental things. Could you 
I don't know, that maybe break it down the basics there, or maybe exp we, I think it'd be good to explain that in a way that uh, people might wrap their heads around. For well, people I, think we who all, we, I think we all sort of know that. So imagine how you feel physically when you're upset. Mm. And so upset might be uh, like you're nervous. So, so what are you going to do when you're nervous? Well, often we hold our breath, our shoulders go up, mm -hmm. we hold our stomach. Mm -hmm. Or when you're angry, you might grunt your teeth, you clench your fist. Um, when you're scared, you, you sort of freeze. So we have these instinctual behavioral patterns. And we don't think about it, but think about if you're in a situation, say it's your family situation, and your experience of that family situation is one of fear. So you're, you're going to generate what we would call a fear body. Your, your body's going to attenuate or get conditioned to that fear. And so it will just start to like literally snowball and build and build a, a structure, a physiology and a neurology and a, and a psychology that's self-perpetuating around that fear. And so that is your survival strategy. Now, you might have picked up certain particular ways to do that from your parents because we often model these behaviors from our parents. Generally, we'll either copy them or we might go sometimes in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. So we get these behaviors. So there's a psychological pattern, but there's a physical pattern. So to, to simplify that a little bit, it, 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 stress in general in life causes us to be much more uptight and clenched and all these things. And what you're saying is that a little bit by little bit, as these things happen over time and continuously, they build up in your body. They become your normal pattern. They exactly. become how you live. And it's not necessarily your stress, but it's, you know, your parents. It's interesting, you know, once you kind of get into this and you look at people and, uh, you know, you can see people's bodies. Like, it's funny. You see a family in a restaurant and you see the father, like, shoulders way up tight. And, and you look at the kid and, and like, oh, wow, that's, you know. And I think at one point in my life, I thought maybe, well, that's their genes. You know, that's how they were born to be. And maybe that's the body they were born with. But this offers a, a new way to look at it. And what's exciting, and I just want to maybe back up and preface this whole thing a little bit because uh, last last podcast we did was on nature and basically getting into your body and being able to, to relax and let go into your body and the earth. And uh, so we're you know, coming from, a, and Owen very much comes from this, and much of what I've learned and, and about it is that, first of all, change is very possible. And much of it truly, truly, um, and for me and for guys, I think is in such a cool way, is body is in your body. And, and I think that's what we're going to kind of get into. I just want to lay that out for everybody first and just um, kind of put it out there. Does that make sense, Sean? Is it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, what I'm hearing is that there's basically our bodies are a physical manifestation of, of our emotional experiences, and if we can, uh, I, I guess I'm wondering kind of what the other side of it. So if we don't um, internalize this and and let our bodies take on our emotions, um, what's the other, what's the other side of it? What are we doing instead? I think it all comes down to what some would call mindfulness, the ability to be in your body in the moment and allow that experience to go through you. And I'm still working on it, 40 years, I'm still working on it. But a lot of the work I do is teaching this, we'll call the general concept of mindfulness. So when stress or, or survival, and, and I call stress like microtraumas or serial survival incidences happen over time, 
you, you d develop this habit, and part of that habit is you're disconnected from your body, disconnected from nature, disconnected from others in, in a more intimate way. Uh, you might be connected to your thoughts, but you're not really connected to your emotions and to your physical body. So bottom line, your physical body is sort of one side of the coin and your emotions are the other side. So when you change that physical body, your emotions can change. And in the moment, that's when it really changes. So, you, so rather than sort of do your survival strategy, which say it's fear, you, you, know, you freeze. Or if you get angry, you get tight and you want to take aggressive action or if you're sad you you collapse instead of doing that as your only thing you go oh I could feel my stomach get tight oh I, I feel my eyes welling uh, oh I must be sad I don't necessarily need to cry but I can let myself be fr be sad and I can let that experience go through me my body and my emotions and release it and you do that a few thousand times not only will you start to master that in the moment but here's the real upside you'll start to get rid of the stress and that stress pattern that that's you've accumulated exactly so you get in a stressful event and you're not having that stress response hmm. and and so it's kind of like I'm kind of visualizing this right now as as like a river and when we manifest it and it and it becomes a physic physically manifested thing, it's almost like our body has dammed up the river and that's where it's stopping. And, and however, that kind of looks for every individual person. And, and by doing what you're suggesting, you're almost like breaking down the dam and, and letting the river flow its natural course as it should. Well, that's, that's a good metaphor. And, and just doing that simple mindfulness of just being aware rather than disassociation disassociation or being disconnected you, you take that dam apart one brick at a time one moment at a time one moment at a time and you keep working on that and you will change your body your life your relationships and what you create and so you know and well to connect it back and, and uh to reference the you know the topic of this podcast and, and the the whole point here so the the venue or the place where owen does some of his work, but it's where, so I, uh, I was, I lived near Sandpoint, Idaho about, my goodness, five or six years, five or six years ago, Four, uh, a while ago, five, five <laughs> yeah, five, ago. five or so, mm -hmm. um, so at the time, I actually was working with Sean mm -hmm. at Explorations, which is a, a wilderness therapy camp, um, and had moved from New York, had a first experience with a men's group in New York City that was very powerful and helpful, and was, you know, just, incredibly happy to find not just a men's group in Sandpoint, but, but a men's group that, uh, in my opinion, is has more depth and more dynamism and, and, and movement than um, really any... I mean, the community, the men's group community in Sandpoint, it's like the capital of men's work, I would say. Ap I mean, it per capita, it has... And, you know, just to put it out there to people who aren't familiar with this stuff, it is not, I mean, men's groups are not found all over the place. It's, it is, it is not a mainstream activity. It's so true. I, I looked uh, pretty hard after I became aware of them from you in, in Orlando and I, I was, uh, I, I wasn't able to find anything that kind of fit this description. Um, and, and actually, so because of that, I am at this point, a complete uh, novice. I've never been in a men's group. I've only heard about them from, from you, Dan. And, uh, and, and I'd love to just kind of hear a description of, of what, what they are, what, what the purpose of them is, and, and why you think, you know, people should be a part of them. Um, there's several levels to it. Uh, you know, we say it's not therapy, but it has a therapeutic value. Uh, and that really depends on the man. 
But another big thing that I think as men we don't have, particularly as we get older, we often have it when we're younger, but we lose brotherhood. And brotherhood is so critical. Uh, Why? Well, because I think we need it. And we, we're, on an instinctual level, we're tribal people. Mm. I mean, so we left a tribe 10,000 years ago, but our genome is 99.9% .9 the same genome that we had when we were in a tribe. So instinctually, for all those millions of years, we're used to being in these communal situations. And, and for men going out in their hunting parties and being with men on a regular basis. So we need that. And we can, if we don't have it now, we can sort of remember, because most of us had it in some way, in the, in the military or college or high school. Or, you know, when we were younger, we had our, our, our friends that we hung out with and we could be honest with and they had our backs and we and they would challenge us and yeah there was some downsides to it but there was a lot of upsides to it mm -hmm. but then you know often for whatever reason we lose that and so i think a lot of the pathology a lot of the stuff or stress that we have as young men or old men is really w this deficiency of not having brotherhood not having and i'm not just talking about friends or having one or two good friends i'm talking about having a group where you can trust them, you can call on them. So if something goes wrong, they're going to be there for you. And in the context of a men's group, you know, they got your back in not just the normal ways that we might think of, but they're committed to you to the point where they will risk your, the relationship they have with you for what you say you want in growth. So if, you know, we're talking and we're in this group, Sean, and, and you're going off and it's obvious to me or, you know, anyone in the group that, you know, you're not serving yourself, and I'm going to be honest with you and tell you what my experience is and re remind you what you want and maybe kick you in the ass a little and, and bring you back to, you know, getting what you want in life and in that group. And there's not many, many places for a lot of guys where they have that kind of relationship. Hmm. Totally. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, I, I want to actually, I want to go more into that, like what you're talking about, the accountability or the the self-referential uh, thing that the group does and kind of turns you back to look at yourself in a way that you can't really do on your own. You know, like, uh, I want to get to that. But first, I want to go back to brotherhood a little bit more and sink into it a little bit because I think it is crucial. And I think, um, Owen, one of the things you first said when you started introducing yourself here is that you felt like a, a square peg in a round hole or, or you didn't you didn't feel belonging, maybe, or uh, I don't I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think that a group, a men's group, offers on a very basic sense a sense of belonging and a sense of acceptance and a sense of, of uh, you know, personal depth and intimacy in a place where it, it, is, it is just okay. It's not, not only okay, but it's, it's, it's what the environment is. It's, it's honored. It's, it's honored, and, and it's, it's a place, and I mean, I just think of... You know, a lot of the kids I've worked with or a lot of people I know and, and just are so much looking for to be a part of what's going on, to be to have to be to belong somewhere, to be accepted. And I think when you talk about the tribe, I mean, that was, um, you know, I, th I think that triggers a big fear in us is, is we don't necessarily know what's going on, but we need to be part of a group. We need to be a part of a tribe and just for basic safety. Uh, we've been talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs a lot on these podcasts, mm -hmm. just as a reference. And, uh, you know, uh, what is it, the second step or the third step of, you know, a sense of belonging in, into a group is, you know, fundamental to human beings. And I think in today's world where 
we're all uh, separated and on our, our machines and, and there's not that um, intimacy and our culture, which doesn't teach and provide for this uh, deep, intimate intimacy is terrifying, especially so, if you're a man. Uh, and especially with other men. <laughs> right. I mean, you're, yeah. you're, as a woman, it seems like you're very encouraged to be open with your emotions. I mean, the stereotypes are all there for that. Um, and with a man, it's it's like almost the opposite. It's as if, if you are experiencing your emotions deeply, then you're somehow a flawed man. Um, and, and we have all sorts of terms um, in, our, in man's well, culture. Well, actually, I, I want to – that's a good point. So I want to touch on something that, that's unique for me in the work that we do is that um, – because – I was trained in a lot of the emotional work and a lot of the more progressive PTSD work, stress work, uh, mindfulness, and somatic psych psychology. But still, I saw that something was lacking. And, and what I started to realize is that um, we inherited a feminine model of emotionality. And we don't know that. And women don't know it. So we don't know it as men. We don't know it. Women don't know it. And the culture doesn't know it. And that comes from what I inferred earlier, that when we left a tribe, uh, we left the farm, and 200 years ago, we left the farm for the factory. And at each subsequent move, the men were gone more and more. So what did the women do? They did what they had to do. They stepped up and raised the family. So in doing that, they raised the boys on how to be emotional. And after at least 200 years of that, we have skewed emotionality for the man towards the feminine. And now that is the water we're all swimming in. And so a lot of the work that we think we should be doing, well, maybe not a lot, at least some of the work that we think we should be doing as men in that emotional context is really doesn't fit us. It's like a woman saying to you, Sean, I got this beautiful dress I made for you. And, you know, it's this silk from India. I, it's going to help you. It's going to help you be more emotional. And you go, I want to be more emotional, but I'm not a woman. I don't wear dresses. I'm not going to wear dresses. Yeah. yeah, and so and that's sort of what's happened to us as men, and we don't know that. And, and one of the things that happens in this deep brotherhood of the group with the accountability and the support and all the things that these guys are talking about is that we start to teach each other because in our genome, you know, buried in our instincts is what it is to be a man emotionally, and we can only learn that from other men. We can, learn, we can learn a lot from women, and we have, and I certainly have, and women can tell us when, they, when we have it, and they can certainly tell us when we don't have it, but they can't teach us that last bit on how to be emotional, and that particularly affects our relationship with women. You know, it affects our relationship with men, but where it falls apart the most, and we see the most of the affects, is in our relationships with the feminine. But what we see in these groups is as men learn this collectively from each other, their relationships with women change. Be it, or, you know, or men are you know, partners, of, uh, intimate partners of any sort. Any, yeah. And, and yeah, yeah. no matter what their age. Because mm -hmm. we've had men in these groups that are late teens or early 20s, and they're learning – I mean, I'm, I tell them, I'm jealous. I wish I had this when I was your age. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm so thankful that I, I went, got into this when I did. So I, uh, just a little backstory of mine is I grew up in a very emotionless uh, home and, and childhood and culture where there was, there was just, it was just very narrow band of what was okay. You know, there was, anger was never shown. Sadness was not shown. Happiness was not really shown. Uh, you know, joy, there was nothing strong. It was just this narrow band of being okay. And 
uh, I think I began to understand that in my 20s when I was leading um, wilderness groups. And also, the the thing is that all along, um, I mean, just incredibly fortunate to have had deep, great relationships. One of the things that, I mean, I'm seeing this weekend is that, you know, I have friends here back from when I was 14 years old, and I had brotherhood in high school. I was, you know, I was captain of the football team. Like, we had a solid group of friends. Like, Hagen and Adam are here right now, and we were in a band, and we spent most waking minutes together. And, you know, to the level that we could, we, you know, trusted each other deeply, would, you know, had each, other, had, each, had each other's back. We were intimate, I think, to the level emotionally that, you know, could be expected. Um, really wonderful. But then it took to my late 20s to, to really, you know, uh, find a men's group or, really just look at this for myself and it took sitting in in Owen circle in idaho i remember sitting there and realizing i didn't know what the hell an emotion was <laughs> I, I mean I, I didn't know i didn't know what i was feeling i had no idea what like you know sadness or, or all it felt like to me at that point was a big jumble or just a big confusing well mess. you often would get nauseous oh i did that's <laughs> what i did i feel anything i would puke that was my thing i mean i would just get too it would be too intense and i'd throw up and uh, it's no longer that way. But for a long time, that was my thing. But anyway, uh, um, I don't go off on too many tang tangents here. But I want to um, keep uh, keep highlighting. I mean, we don't have to get back on specific. But uh, the brotherhood aspect here uh, is, I think, one thing I'm very imp is very important to me with this podcast and in general is making this concept of of men's group and emotional development accessible and uh, okay for for guys of all types in all places and uh, it is something that uh you know people hear about it and they're like whoa, whoa. <laughs> that's scary that's weird that's uh and and that's fine i mean that that reaction is is fine but i think there there's a, a couple ways to approach it that i think makes it um packages it a little bit differently and and one thing Owen and i have talked about this a lot but uh, the one place I see outside a men's group that do brotherhood real well is is like the Navy SEALs and, and is these very elite uh, military groups where uh, I have a very good friend, Rourke Denver, who I've, I've worked with in the past, and he was a uh, Navy SEAL commander, captain, um, ran the training program, the BUDS training program, uh, you know, has seen a lot of action, live action in both Iraq and Afghanistan. Incredible man. And... Um, you know, he, the way he talks about the brotherhood and what they, you know, what really means to them to go to war together and, and what they do for each other. And and it is filled with so much emotion. It is filled, I mean, you, you talk about, um, I mean, Rourke will cr cry at the drop of a hat, you know. He, I mean, he, he has a full emotional range in a very healthy way. And I think there's a thing in our culture where we look at men with emotions and we think that just because of what you said, Owen, because it, it comes across as a feminine thing or from women, that men aren't, it's just, it's somehow scorned or shamed into having emotions. And then, you know, you have a figure like a Navy SEAL, which who just kind of across the board in our culture gets respect and understood. <laughs> and and as, a, as, a, as like, you know, as an epitome of what a man can be. And, you know, talking to Rourke and getting to know him and, and seeing the emotion behind it, and he's very open about, he, you know, he's a crier. He's an emotional guy. And that is, you know, that is, that's what we're going, that's what we're talking about here. That's what we're going for. It's, it's, uh, 
So I, I kind of have a question for both of you, you know, and, and it might be different. It might be the same. Um, but and as an outsider, I specifically am interested in this. Um, but I'm hearing that there's a difference between what goes on in this men's group or the Navy SEALs, this brotherhood mm -hmm. type of idea versus what's created naturally in small group friends that are in high school, college age. Um, and I'm wondering, what's the big difference? W what is the factor or, or what's helping to create this brotherhood where, where guys are feeling okay to be emotional? And, and I'm asking because I know that in my groups of friends um, that lacked that, uh, there was, it, there was a, I mean, those are the, maybe the most unsafe places for me to express emotions. And any time that you did, there was, you know, the real, you know, the, the things that they called you, that you're, you're a pussy, um, you're mm -hmm. being a little bitch. Um, and it was like, okay, well, I just know not to go there anymore. So what is it that these men's groups are doing or that the Navy SEALs are doing that's promoting this and making it something acceptable? Um, I think one thing, one way to look at it is, is a mission or purpose. And, and, and that's another aspect for men that is really critical for us individually and in, in the group to be successful. And uh, you know, when I read Rourke's book, there were several points I was really moved to tears. I mean, sobbing and he, reading about the love and the brotherhood. So it, it's like, and you, you you tapped on it when you said about you know how we've <sighs> limited our emotional spectrum by trying to be feminine or, or being accused of being feminine or whatever. But one of the ways for myself and I see with men and, I, and I, my sense of a man like Rourke is that. We have a tremendous amount of love, men do. And, and, and it's like we have a, a narrow conduit for it yeah. in this culture. And so one of the things that the, bro uh, the brotherhood uh, that we're talking about, the group, gives us is, is a, a much broader spectrum to, to give and receive, which could be the harder part of the love part uh, of, the, of the group. And this idea that, and, and you really get it, you know, reading Rourke's book and, this, and, and what uh, my experience with these elite uh, military forces is is how their commitment is to watch your back mm -hmm. and it's a, an honor it's an honor to die for you more than for the country more from their you know mission of that particular day week or whatever but you know it's an honor to to stop that bullet for you and they live for that. And I remember Rourke They really do live for it. And it's, it, uh, that brings me to tears or makes my, the, the hair on the back of my neck stand up when it gets talked about it is that, you know, it's a, it's a code. It's a war. It, there is no better way to die than on the battlefield, like, for your, for your partners. And, for and your that, is the, like that is the act of love for a man so often. Now, it, that's the consummate or the extreme. But for us in the group, mm -hmm. it's around their emotions. You know, so you're saying something – and, you know, my act of love might be to get angry or you know, to express my anger or, or to express how much I love you and how you touched me or, or congratulate you on where you've gone in six months of being in the group and to take that risk and, and to watch the back of the group. So if the group as a whole starts to drift, that you're willing to say, this is BS, stop it. This is not what I'm here for. And this happens in our group. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that, that's something that I'm interested in, especially is um, is like it sounds to me as if there's some measure of maybe harshness. I, I guess that's how I'm perceiving it when I hear about this. 
um, where you know you're confronting another man or you're confronting the whole group on what's going on. And I'm wondering how that's done in a way that both respects the other people's emotions and um, is true to the feeling that that you're feeling at the time. Um, in our groups, it's just done. I mean, and, and for and we were saying this up there for. I, I started out as a very nice guy. I mean, I couldn't confront, and I've learned to do that. Uh, and in the group, I'm often the guy that's willing to step up and confront a guy. And for a lot of men, the first time they get mad in their life is in the group. Mm -hmm. And it's a breakthrough for them to just lose it mm -hmm. and, and just absolutely scream, swear, you know, maybe try to hit with some guys holding them back or they're hitting a pillow or whatever, just to, to let that physiology come out. And so it's all done in a safe container. They, in the back of their head, know it's safe. But in that moment, it's all that pent-up rage. And anybody have been a very nice guy, so no one would have thought they had it in them, but it just comes out. And it, it, yes, it sort of opens up those anger channels, but it also opens up the channels for passion. Because you can be only as passionate as you are willing to be angry. I'm not saying you, you, you have to be angry, but willing to be angry. And that gets to, to the warrior thing. Mm -hmm. And it's not that anger or rage that we often see. It's the anger. Anger is an appropriate emotion just like sadness and fear. Anger's there so that if I start to violate you, you get angry. And you should get angry. If you don't get angry, then you have a PTSD thing happening. You're, you're stuck in fright. Or fight or you're frozen and not going into fight or flight. So you might need to break through that, get angry, and just open up those channels. So when someone starts to violate you, you can say no. Or when someone takes something from you, you can say, that is mine. I want it back. Gosh, that's uh, – so this is a kind of a an uncomfortable place for me, this um, allowing yourself to be angry. And, and I think – in fact, just last – podcast we talked about humility and we got to this this point and um and i even said that uh, i i feel unsafe being angry um because i'm no longer in control of my actions and and my experience with people who get really angry is that they they say things they don't mean they start with personal attacks and and all that really does is kind of create a cycle mm -hmm. that then people are just always angry at one another for things that were said that they didn't mean or things that weren't said or things that were said in a, in a mean way. And, I, and I'm, uh, I'm just wondering if there's a difference between what I'm talking about and, and this. Anger. Well, here, here's a big difference is, is the safety and the environment of the group itself allows that to be at not, not just okay, but welcomed. And I think that's the way, like, like Owen said, the mission of the group and, and the agreements that every man makes to be there and the intention of everybody there is to is to support that and to allow that, and you know what it what it brings out is uh, one of the very few places I can even conceive of where where we can go to that place of anger or losing control or just letting go completely, and I you know I have a deep deep belief in the importance of being able to do that and having places to do that as we look at the state of, of sort of men and boys in our culture. And, you know, just yesterday another guy went to a, into a movie theater and shot people up. And, oh. you know, not to make any over, over, you know, broad statements about anything, but we don't know how to deal with anger. We don't know how to, we don't know how to process it. I mean, and, and, and you know, I'm sure we could do an entire podcast on any one emotion and how that, how that 
affects each of us in our culture. But I mean, anger is, is one that, uh, you know, it's, there's, there's something really weird and, and fucked up about how we respond to the, to the anger and violence in our culture and yet are making really no movement toward, uh, working with emotion in general with boys and, and men. And it's, uh, it's where it's at, and it's when what we've got to do. It's basically two safe places out in nature to get angry because yeah. no rock or tree is going to judge you or it's not going to fall down, hit you or kill you if you get angry, or in one of these kinds of groups. So, so you got to have a tight container with, like Dan said, the protocols and, you know, an agreement and some skill level to really go there for some guys. So I wouldn't say all groups could do it, but yeah. in the groups that we do and we'll be doing this weekend – it will be that kind of safe place where a guy can lose it. And he knows it's safe because if you don't, if you're trying to lose it and you don't feel like it's safe, it's artificial. And you, and like you said, Sean, then you run the risk of reinforcing it. Mm -hmm. and, and that's, that's kind of what keeps coming up when I'm thinking about it. So to, to a person who's stuck in an anger cycle um, that, you know, one person gets to the point where they say malicious things and then they're doing that back to them. Um, do you have any, like, how is that different than, than what we're talking about in a men's group? And, and I'm, I guess I'm wondering, particularly in the expression of the anger, is there, um, is there malicious intent? Is there an attack? Is there, how, how is it done in a way that, that doesn't violate the other people of the group? Well, in, these, in, in my group or our group, so we do it in such a way that if you're doing it, you can violate, you can scream, you can swear. If I'm standing up, I'm willing to be that guy, and I usually am. Mm -hmm. Go for it. I don't, you know, I don't give a fuck what you say. Mm. And I got big guys standing next to you. If you're a big guy, so if for some reason you truly lose it, no guy ever has yet, mm. they'll grab you. So I know I'm safe. Mm -hmm. And so I know there's nothing you can say to me in those moments that's going to hurt me. Okay, so you do you just turn something off that you're not listening? Quite to? Quite the opposite. Mm -hmm. I turn things on. Okay, and it's and I it's, you can put a shield up. Uh huh. That's but what I do is it's the mindfulness stuff. I let it go through me. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you don't dam it up. You're just letting. And, it and then the it's river. like, spirit, bring this on. Give me a teaching, and, and so you say twenty things. Maybe there's one thing that hooks me a little. And I go. Well, I got to breathe with that because I do care about that. Here's <laughs> another good example of that is, yeah. is like if, uh, uh, you know, you kind of – if a three-year-old calls you a name. Sure. You know, it, like <laughs> it's like working with a child or, or any other thing where like as an adult when you set the space and you're holding space for a classroom of kids or something and, you know, you, you do your best to open up and let things go through, not take it – you know, it's not personal. That, and that's the thing. These groups were not – Often not dealing in a in a surface personal level. It is the it's the undercurrents that are coming up here, and and everybody get, and you'll see this weekend. It's and you can tell when you're there. It it's 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 a new it's a new way of interaction. Yeah, and, and we need that because as Dan was saying, and as kids, we had it, but slowly as we grew up, it got stuffed down. And it wasn't malicious. It's just that our parents were stuffed down. You know, my parents were pretty much just like Dan's parents. And I don't know how your parents were. I, it's rare in this culture that, to find someone that grew up in an in environment that allowed a little encouraged free experience and expression. And this, these groups allow that. So we tell guys, look, make mistakes. 
You can't screw up, and or, or screwing up is a success because it's all about risk and not about you know getting it right. Because as guys, I think one of the things that really becomes a governor for us is trying to get it right. Mm. Oh, I, I I love that idea, um, and I've often said or thought that the only way to really know what the right path is or what the right thing to do is is to do the wrong thing a bunch of times. You know, because somebody might just stumble upon the right path the first time they try something. As great as that is, they don't know exactly why it's the right path until they've kind of done the wrong thing a bunch of times. Um, and, and in my own experience, that's been a really important thing for me. Um, and I love that example that you gave, Dan, about the, the three-year-old kid. Um, you know, it, it, it's something that I've often kept in mind when adults come at me, when they attack me verbally. Um, and as soon as you really recognize that this isn't personal, that's not even them really talking, it's the emotion, it's the anger that's yelling at me, um, then it is a lot easier to depersonalize it, and then it can just kind of flow through your river and, and back out the other side. Um, so I, I, I kind of And get then I would say, you know, great, and then it's like they're doing this to you, and then what can you get from it? Because at some point, something that they're probably going to hook you. Like with something that that does get me, because like your 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 spouse or your partner or your family, they know our hooks, right. and they're going to keep doing that until they can you know come over and yep. go, oh I hey, got you not there, not that one. That's yeah. So one what do you do there. then? Uh, wh what do I do? Oh boy, I don't know. I I recoil. I I I don't counterattack. I I think that counterattack. Like I, I feel like I'm a good conduit almost. So like I can take it and let it go through. And if they get to that point, um, I I disengage, maybe reflect upon it, and then come back at a later time when we're both not so riled up and and try to discuss it in a civil way. That's what I try to do. <laughs> what do you think about that? Oh, and you're smiling. I'm really interested to hear. Because Dan knows what. I mean, I go. Hell yeah, bring it on, and and I will get mad if I'm mad, particularly in the group, because I don't live with these guys, I don't work with these guys, and not my family. So really, in that way, it's safe too. Mm -hmm. So I get to experiment, right? But even with like I was saying upstairs before the podcast sure. about an ex-girlfriend, uh, how she said something that really impacted me, and I put the relationship at risk and sp and spoke to my impact or the impact that it had on me. Which was scary, it was sad, it was anger. Yeah, because you were saying in some way you just confronting that was, you know, the possibility in your head was that this was it. This was you giving up on the relationship or, or you know, shoving it off because, but you needed to say it. It was necessary to confront. And it was scary. So I, I, I in that moment, she was saying a lot of things. And when she wasn't really angry, but just a little bitching and that she kept on throwing darts. But then one just hit me and it just wasn't true. And I couldn't mm -hmm. let that one go by. And as I was saying, I, in that moment, you know, I felt this fear go through my body, but I also felt this anger, but more than that, just passion. Like, I cannot let this go through. I will be a liar to myself and this relationship and really to this woman. So I had to speak and, and risk losing the relationship. Uh, and so I just went into my experience, felt it, and, and I didn't know how I was going to say it. I just started saying it. just came out of me and then I shut up for a minute there was silence on the phone and then she said oh I'm soft you just melted me I, I love you I mean it was that was she felt that as an act of love yeah she thanked you for it yeah that's such a cool yeah thing. I mean so we're, we're talking about uh you know 
sort of an act of integrity, which which is standing up to the moment, to the situation of what really needs to be said. And I think a big part of training in these men's groups and mindfulness in general is to be open and present with that moment where you are, whatever that moment is, and then be willing to 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 respond, to act, to be part of it, to participate in it. And these groups, a men's group, particular Owens men's groups, are uh, it really truly is a training camp it's a training ground it's and 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 it is safe to do this with with a group of guys that uh that are all there for the same purpose and and um yeah you can screw up you can you can do this it's like a completely free zone like it's a totally free zone and then you have these practice it's all you have all this practice these experiences and you go into your into your life with your with your girlfriend or your wife or your or your family and families where I still have the hardest time, mm-hmm. and I think that's common. And uh, but you have experiences of, you know, whatever it is, whatever whatever it is, just showing up and uh, hanging with what's happening, and uh, having the courage to. It, and it's really, and I think Owen, maybe you should mention a little bit. It's it, there's this sort of deeper level. It's sort of like a, a, a trance-like level that that a lot of this work goes on, and you. You really train, and you become very sensitive to what's going on. And I actually, I I have a question I think about, and have been meaning to ask you, Owen, too. And um, is sort of the sensitivity? Is it something? And uh, this whole project that we're talking about, do you feel like all men are able to learn and step into this stuff? Do you think that some men are are more uh, easily stepping into it? Why are some men attracted to men's work? Um, is it something that everybody? Can everybody be as sensitive and, and sort of recognize the moment? Is it really a skill that you can I develop? think it is. I, I think it's probably like any skill set. I mean, like you were gifted with this ability to be athletic. Mm-hmm. And you used it and you developed it. And, and that was sort of natural for you. Uh, where for another guy, it might, be, it might not be as natural. So I think everyone, every man needs it, is capable of it. Some of it, some guys it's going to be easier for it's probably a little hard for every guy, but some guys, you know, they're going to get into it easier. I was one of the hard ones, but just like you said, Sean, I mean, I was one of these guys that kept on making mistakes, kept on screwing up and it didn't work, but I kept on coming back. And I, I'm a very, ten- I might not be a bright guy, but I'm tenacious. And I just kept on working at it and working at it. And then it worked for me and then I started seeing it work for others. And it, now it's grown. So, I think, I think every guy in them has that capability. And, and one of the missing ingredients is that support, the safety. Mm-hmm. And the other part of that that we haven't really talked about, which happened back in our ancestral life, is the modeling. You know, our modeling of how to be as a human, let alone as a man, is fairly limited. But in these groups, the guys come in often and they just sit there. They're, they're more of a viewer watching and learning through that you know, observer experience, which is often how we learn as kids, before they start playing and participating. And so, so it's this, this sense of we just organically create a new model of, of masculine emotional intelligence. And, and guys go, I never, and we hear it all the time with the guys, I never seen that. I never thought about doing that. Wow. And sometimes that's all it takes. You know, I think guys are bright. And if we just see it a few times, we often find ourselves replicating it in our lives without even practicing. Mm-hmm. But the group allows these guys to practice. And we've had guys that, you know, I might say at first, well, this is going to be a long road for this guy. Mm. But because they just 
dove in, feet, head, everything, 100%, they got on the fast track. And the fast track is allowing yourself to fully experience it. And it's courage. And this is the courage that, you know, Dan was talking about before about, and, and that the SEALs really represent of this courage of being able to be in the moment with your experience and feel your feelings and, and, and be seen with them and express them and being willing to screw up. And at the same time, work towards this mission. And the mission might be, you know, your own emotional development, you know, supporting the other men in the group and, you know, getting something out of this experience where it really shows up in your life. Mm -hmm. So, hmm. gosh, I mean, I, it sounds like uh, something that it, I really believe that every man could use something like this. And, and I'm just wondering uh, what would have to happen you know, what, what's the barrier? What's the biggest barrier that you think that exists right now that prevents men from accepting things like this or even exploring things like this or letting this happen? I think the first one is the model that we, we've grown up in of what it is to be emotional as a man. And, you know, so it's putting that, on that woman's dress. Right, and that's something I'm really working on changing. Uh, and then the other is having, like, your podcast, having these groups, the whole mm -hmm. spectrum, a continuum of... Experience. Sometimes you could be just listening to the two of you speak every week to, you know, joining a group every week and going to that and observing and not just mentally, but really letting what you observe affect you physically and emotionally and starting to apply it and start to have an or more intimate conversation with people, men and women in your life. It's, you know, that next time when someone says something to you, take a deep breath and, and say what you don't want to say. Start putting a few relationships at risk by speaking the truth. And in most cases, not all, but in most cases, what we find is the relationship gets deeper. Mm. And if it does fall apart, be it a marriage or just a friendship, if you're being honest, it, in my experience, it falls apart pretty gently. One thing that I want this podcast to be is, is like I want to, I want to like build a giant sign. And on that sign, I want to say, Pay attention, younger people. Look at look at all the adults in your life. And and Owen, you say this, I've heard you say this several times that just gets me every time and it's that most men live lives of quiet desperation. And I just couldn't agree more. And and I think there's an opportunity and you talk about what are the barriers here. This is why I, you know, am so passionate about talking to, to younger men. So maybe high school kids or middle school or, or you're in college. It doesn't matter when, but I just feel like I, I want like just give like a wake up call and, and tell younger people just to say, look, here's what's going to happen. If, if you don't pay attention to your own growth and, and your own self in a deep, deep way, you're going to be a, a, a desperate 45, 50, 60 year old man that looks back on his life and realizes that I don't know who, you know, I don't know, I, I don't have, yeah, take over on here. I well, don't, I think you just nailed it. I think the, the, the distinction is, is that in this culture, we're given a lot. Yeah, literally or, or sort of in a general way of, of a track. And we know what the track is. You know, you go to school, high school, college, your job, or, or professional school. And I'll, I'm all for that. And so, yeah, we, we, you know, we sort of co-create that. We co-participate in that. So it's not all passive. We just don't drink it in. But what you're talking about, Dan, is it's not out there yet. And you and I, we all want it out there. But right now, 
if you want it, you got to go find it and create it. Yeah. For yourself, your friends. And so it's not out there in the zeitgeist yet. It's not out there in the culture yet. So that, that burning passion, that craziness that you think you might are, that other people accuse you are or infer that you are because you're sensitive or you're into other things, whatever it might be, it is that the, the last bit of that spark of your uniqueness. Don't put it out. Find a way to express it. Find a way to find other boys, men to be with so you can support each other and grow not just the brotherhood but that flame in you because don't expect that the culture out there is going to give you that. They, and it's not a conspiracy, but <laughs> they're going to take it away from you. Yeah, it's almost like they not only won't give it to you, if you try to take it, if you try to explore it, they'll really put that down. They'll, they'll try to prevent you almost. That's, in my experience, what, what I've noticed a lot. Um, and, and, and this brings me to a question because earlier you mentioned um, that some guys come into these men's groups and they, they dive in and they're on kind of what you refer to as a fast track or they're you know, really being very courageous and getting deep really quickly. Um, and, and I think – One guy who did that is, is Harish. Who's who, upstairs. Who's upstairs. Oh, he's and you did that in our group a few years I ago. Did that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I like to just do that in like cold bodies of water, you know, just, <laughs> just dive in and see what it's like. But, um, but some, something that concerns me or something I often think about and notice about our culture is, is we're really focused on, you know, shortcuts. I mean, there's this thing, uh, hashtag, gosh, I wish I could think of it. Life hacking, hacks? Well, yeah, life hacks. We, we want to hack everything. Yeah, yeah. that's what we're, we're always trying to do. Um, and, um, and so you said the word fast track and it just like, you know, it was like a, a shining star to me and I'm wondering like is it is it something that this guy would do just for a short period of time or is this an ongoing process is this a lifelong process both I, I think it gets it's it's short and intense for a while but when you get on the other side there's a guy and a girl I'll call him Sam that came in I think about two years ago mm. and I remember there was a we, we occasionally bring all our groups together we had a big group meeting went around and I asked the question I want to know how much substance each one of you ingests to drink, smokes, or whatever a week. And so everyone got really honest. And it was good. It was revealing. Mm. And this one guy was saying how he was drinking beer every night. And, and then a little later, I said to Sam, I said, Sam, you told us earlier that the most important thing in your life are your kids and coming home every night and being with them. But you're not with them. You're with your beer. You love your beer more than your kids. Well, I think he got a little pissed. <laughs> <laughs> you just met this guy? Uh, he was in the group for maybe a month. Okay. Uh, I don't know if I met him before that meeting. Uh, and he stood up and started screaming at me, S screaming at me. Never gotten mad in his life. Hmm. Now, Brad, this guy that you know, we know yeah. that's in the group, Owen can take it. Go for it, Sam. And he did. He went through, he lost it for five minutes. He's just screaming, spitting, and, uh, and I was safe. I, and I would, you know, if he started to bring it down, I'd throw another thing until he was done. <laughs> You're just provoking him. Oh, I'm just provoking him because it was like he was having this big purging. Uh, and, and there's close to 30 guys in this big circle watching him do this and holding this space for him. And then at the end, he's like done. And, I, you know, I knew he was done at that point. And I just look at him in the eye, and he's bigger than me. He says, I love you. And he just hugs me and starts crying. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, that's a common. Pa I mean, I would. That's a very normal pattern that that happens in these things. It's and it's it's not. You know, he's not pissed at Owen. You know, mm -hmm. he's he's 
just working some other stuff out. And, you know? and, and I didn't know, but, you know, it, other things came up and his ex-wife and this and that. Well, the guys in the last, well, now it's been a few months, but went through this huge six months of intense stuff. Are you, you're familiar with the hero's journey? Joseph uh, Campbell? Is it similar to The Alchemist? No. Well, no. Have you read that book? Well, the, so The Hero's Journey is is a uh, the kind of the archetype or, uh, that all, most stories are built so upon. Like so The Alchemist. Leave home and then come back home. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, so I think The Alchemist is a, is a book that definitely uh, demonstrates The Hero's Journey. Okay. But The Hero's Journey is, is a broad sort of uh, device okay. or you know, story archetype that everybody uses. Okay, and, sure. and you know, using mythology, and movies, and in our lives, in our unconscious, and 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 the bottom of that cycle is is what I would call, and others would call, the dark night of the soul, where you feel like your whole life is falling apart, and in that moment, it's you and your creator. You're in this void, and, and you know Dan's been there, and it's scary because you know there is a death happening. It's like your ego. Uh, and so this guy went through it a few times, and we were there holding him. We were there doing our healing journeys, which is this process we created, and, and supporting him. He's come out of, of this, and we call him the, the, the love guru of Sandpoint now. He just walks around, and, and it's not artificial. He's just happy. He's just happy all the time. And the women are just, he has like this herd of women chasing him <laughs> because he's just happy. <laughs> he he never would have imagined that six months earlier. But he's a guy that just... Dove in, went the fast track and said, take it off, take it off, layer out layer. And he did whatever you need to do. So he's still doing his work, but because he's on the other side of it, the pain, the work, the effort is a fraction of what it was six months ago. So here's an interesting question. Like, you know, in this guy's an example or anyone really, like how does one, because I keep saying the word subconscious, but but it really is like the the things that I think drive a lot of our behavior and a lot of what goes on in our life. We're not aware. We don't. We can't just put our finger on it. We can't just say, "Well, oh, I'm feeling this and this is." But I would just say that if you know, you kind of have a sense, and a lot of people just have a sense that either things could be better or something is stuck, or or there's like these little loops you get into. And I'm just you know trying to. Uh, kind of find a way to identify how somebody listening to this or somebody else could identify that that um, you know that they might really benefit from you well, know I, think, I, mean? I think there's two things basically either either it's a negative or it's a positive and for most guys we don't go for enhancement and I have 40 years of back this up and I was one of them we go f for fixing a problem so the, the pain the problem and it's like for me and the guys that join these groups, it's, and I think the ones you're talking to is, I'm not going to take it anymore. You know, I am not going to take it anymore. And I don't have to take it anymore. Now, just because you don't know how to, quote, fix it, and that's another belief that we have, is I can't leave something, change something, unless I know how to fix it. Right. And, and so deconstruct that belief and go, all right, I don't like what's happening be it physically, emotionally, relationship-wise, at work, and I don't know how I'm going to change it, but I'm going to do what I need to do. You know, read this, the books, the podcasts, the, the, the whatever. I'm going to start a process, and as you said, you might go down a few roads, and it might be a few dead ends, and often in the beginning it is, but it's like spirit, your unconscious, however you want to frame it, it's testing you. How committed are you? You're going to, it's like, you know, as an athlete or these SEALs, I mean, it, you know, they get through butt training, not because they're strong, but because they have that tenacity mm -hmm. for something beyond them. 
something that they don't know, but something that burns in them, their own passion and their love for their brothers and this bigger amorphic thing that they probably have a hard time describing. So that little flame you have, you might not know how to make it bigger. You might not know what you want instead, but start doing something. I have two, uh, I want to go right to the source, I think, two questions and two fears that people have expressed around men's groups, and I, I want to just bring them right to the forefront and talk about them. Number one is homophobia. I think that people see men's groups and, and, and they have some sort of fear or aversion to them, thinking that there's some sort of homosexual something going on there. So I think that's worth bringing up. And the second one, too, that people are afraid of is any kind of spiritual element. that And, and a men's group has... Doesn't have to, but generally has a right like AA, like Alcoholics Anonymous has is based upon you know something w- bigger than yourself. Yeah. Religion. So yeah. I, I mean, I just I think it's good to uh, elucidate you know the things that people are generally afraid of. So I wanted to I don't know just have you riff on that. A well, little I, I think part of the homophobia we have in this culture, and I, I do see with the Supreme Court and everything else that's happening, you know, it's starting to really change exponentially now. But still, it's there. But I think it really what that is is that we we transfer or project our emotional uptightness onto homophobia. Mm-hmm. So if two guys say I love you or hug each other, you know, a third party might think, oh, those guys are gay. Uh, so that's really just because, again, we we have such a screwed up or no real understanding on a visceral level, not just a cognitive level, what emotions really is for men. And like you said, with the seals, I mean, I'm sure they're telling each other they love each other and they're crying and they hug each other. They're they're dying for each other, uh, or at least risking their lives for each other. And no one's going to call them gay. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Uh, So that's great that they're, they're cracking that limiting paradigm from that perspective. Uh, and what was, I'm sorry, what was your other question? Uh, spirituality. Oh, fear, fear of, uh, yeah, spirituality. And I mean, and in my past, I'm guilty of this too, of, of, uh, you know, getting into, as I've gotten into, uh, you know, all of the, the spiritual directions and paths that I, that I follow and have followed, I, you know, definitely came at it from a, you know, to place a fear about it or, or a misunderstanding or, or a labeling, an immediate label of, of, you know, of, of new agey shit and, and, uh, you know, I proudly am, am uh, as deep into new AG practices and, and, and yet feel still feel that aversion to that sort of like label. And I still label people that. So I think that's an interesting thing. And I think that's something that keeps people away from men's groups, too. Well, I think that's a good question um, I, for myself. And, and I would say for you know the men that I know that are happy and successful in the ways that they want to be that being spiritual is an integral part. Um, my background is I spent uh, 30 more years studying with Native Hawaiian and Native American traditions, and, and not just studying them. I mean, literally living with them and, and doing ceremonies with them. And, uh, and, and the Native Americans have a medicine wheel of five physicians. Uh, and in terms of aspects of ourselves, it's spirit, our emotions, our body, our mind, and sexuality. And if you're going to be whole and if you're going to be really happy and successful, all those aspects need to be open in you. Some of them are going to be stronger at different times. And part of the spiritual part is is your connection to your creator and to that spirit or that thing inside of you. One of the most profound 
goose we had in the last year or more was one of the guys or two guys led a big meeting and we talked about what's your relationship to spirit or spirituality because we know we even though this group's really open we sort of skirt the issue mm -hmm. and it was really interesting to hear each guy talk and some guys were very moved by it i mean mm -hmm. tears and we yeah we had a couple of guys that were mormons in, in the group and we, you know whole spectrum buddhists and everyone spoke about their own experience and other guys were saying and sort of like what you were saying dan and what was true for me growing up catholic i was scared of it yeah i was scared of any talk of spiritual religious god because I had a certain connotation of it. But for me, and I think for these guys, once they started having their own experience, they let their experience be the judge. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that happens in this group. Uh, you know, and even in terms of the sexuality, we don't have sex, but we talk about it. And we don't brag about it like guys would normally right. do, and I've certainly been there, but we, we talk about the, the scary things that happens for men the at all different ages. normally wouldn't talk yeah. about. Yeah. And, 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 and the great thing, again, about these groups is no matter how bad you might think you are, you're getting honored for having the courage to speak it. Mm -hmm. So and there's a, in, in regard to spirituality, it sounds like there's a, you believe that it's, it's a necessary integral part of this, but there's no prescribed method that the group goes about in regards to spirituality. No, no. Okay, so th I think that that's really a good question and something that's great to be clarified for somebody who might be interested in doing this and, and just knowing that, you know, th they didn't have to go in and, and know that they were going to, somebody was going to try to indoctrinate them. No, and, and it's 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 less than a 12-step program. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, you're, you're right about that, it is. It, this It's interesting, it's, it's uh, you know, my, when I first sat in your group, Owen, the, for me, I think there's a lot of opening and a lot of growth, but emotional uh, acceptance and, and everything was a huge, huge part of that. And I think the last couple of years of my life now have been uh, much more the spiritual acceptance. And I think it's, you know, I'm becoming to be just as adamant of a protector and a, and a voice for men to to feel free and open to be emotional as as for men to be free and open to be spiritual too. And that's, it's, I think it's just as restricted in our culture or, or there's a stigma against it. Um, and, you know, I mean, there's definitely some, I grew up in the Midwest in the rural areas and, and this stuff is just like, whoa, like way <laughs> out there. So obviously there's a, there's a personal history piece of this. And some people may, you know, listen to this and uh, have grown up in a very spiritually open place. And I think it's interesting though, because a lot of men who are drawn to men's work, especially like in New York where I was part of a group and led a group there, it was the spiritual guys that came. It was the guys that were into yoga uh, and I think they recognized there was something uh, a little more visceral or more emotional that needed to happen. Um, and it's in, in, I don't see that in Sandpoint as much. I, I feel like there's, there's more of a, uh, I don't know, your everyday guy, your every man is, is open to the to men's work thing. And, and uh, you know, I'm obviously still working through my biases and all my stuff, but I, I just want to just give guys permission to, you know, for spirit, emotion, and, well, and, and all these five things that you talked about. And I know. think to get back to what you were saying earlier, I think for me, and I see for a lot of men, one of the biggest ways to connect to spirit, whatever that is for you, it's through nature. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. And, 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 and also through just feeling free to discuss it. I, th I think spirituality is in, in 
unfortunately at this point is a very personal thing N you know it's one of the two things that you don't talk about at the dinner table um, and uh, and and that's too bad you know I think it would be, I mean it sounds like the the men's groups are a place that you can be free and open to talk about it and yeah and we don't we don't talk about the theory or the, the, you know, the whatever the or not the dogma but the structure of you know this religion about or that religion but we get guys that grew up in a very staunch religious environment where it traumatized them and and, and that's some of their work sometimes uh so again what we do really has very little didactical or intellectual parts to it it's it's all experiential mm -hmm. and so it's not like we got a book that we well we do but we don't do lessons in the normal way that we learn so this is like the antithesis of most schools I love that about it, and and I I really am keen into the idea that it's not intellectual; it's it's much more visceral. And that's one reason that guys like this. So I, so guys like it because it's real; it's in the moment; it's it's a challenge for them. We like challenge, but a different kind of challenge, but not unlike in some ways a challenge of, of a physical activity. And this group, your brotherhood's like the team that you work out with every week. You know, mm -hmm. we we do these four-hour groups. It's a four-hour work week. A four-hour workout once a week, but guys want to go to it for the brotherhood, for the fun, because we don't know what's going to happen, and you got to be on your game. Yeah, it's scary. It's a challenge. It's terrifying. It's fun. It's. it's I, I never laugh so much. Yeah. yeah, I laugh more easily. That is the end of that conversation. It got stopped a little abruptly there. I apologize for that, but man, I just listened to it again, and and there's about a million things there I'd like to parrot and repeat and just say but you know that's that's the long game here that's what we're doing is really taking these core things and bringing them out making them understandable and uh every man should know about this you know um we were doing a little meeting yesterday and and came up with this slogan of navy seals to ceos college to old dudes just I, i'm screwing it up but but the idea is that this truly is for every man we're we're bringing out this idea that there's this workout that there's this uh, exercise that we have been unaware of that we can do and it's all about dropping into who we are as people and owning all the parts of us as owen talked about so eloquently and so passionately so thank you for tuning in i, I want to give a shout out to sean helvey and his work with young men at manmadementors.com if you know of any um, young adolescent or young adult males um, who are looking for help in a coaching and mentoring capacity or, or therapeutic capacity, uh, reach out to us at manmadementors.com. And a big shout out to Owen Marcus, who has literally dedicated the last 40 years of his life to what we're doing here, to this movement of helping men grow up and be all of themselves. And you can find out all about him at his blog, which is www.owenmarcus.com. That's Owen Marcus, M-A-R-C-U-S.com. And he has a mentoring and training site at www.freetowin.co. That's free to win, no spaces.co. Check it out. His trainings are incredible. They're the foundation of our Everyman retreats and our work. He's an advisor here at Everyman. He's very much involved in what we're doing and uh, go to the source check out what he's got he's got a book on amazon called grow up um, it's a guide to masculine emotional intelligence uh, very very good read i'd recommend it to everyone on here so go check it out buy the book read it uh, it'll give you some more background on what we're doing here and 
and uh, maybe you'll think from and I'm not the only crazy one touting this stuff. So, um, thank you, and we'll we'll see you each week. If you have the time and and you do feel impacted by what you're hearing hearing here, uh, it would be very valuable if you went to iTunes and left us a review. Um, I thought it'd be more uncomfortable asking you to do that. It wasn't. It felt just fine. Yeah, if you like what you're hearing and this means something, give us a review. All that does is just helps us uh, gain visibility, which we are trying to do. So have a great week. Uh, Your challenge this week is to share with someone who's very close with you one thing that you that you have never shared before. It doesn't have to be anything massive, but it should be a, a, a revealing thing about yourself that lets them know who you are just one inch closer. Uh, take that step of vulnerability. Identify someone where it's safe to do this and share. Share. Maybe it's a fear. What are you afraid of? Maybe it's um, a judgment you have of something. Anything else. You know, whatever feels edgy and Just let it out there. See what happens. All right, guys. Have a great week.